Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. I introduced myself earlier, I'm Dan and one of the pastors here at Hillcrest, and I want to say up front, thank you, Hillcrest Chapel, for making ministry to our kids and our youth a high priority. Many of you helped, donated, served to make sure that these students could have this experience, that our high school students could go to Panama, and our middle school students who served in Portland, and a lot of them are right here, and they're awesome, and they... They are joining us today. We usually meet over there on Sunday mornings. Um, So here's a question I get asked often. Why do you do it? Why do you take students on mission trips? Wouldn't it be better if you just sent the missionaries money and let them do with it as they please? I get that. I often get that. And here's the answer to that question. Year after year, as we go to serve, it is a great help to the missionaries who we work with by giving them several extra hands to help them out. We see it make a difference in the lives of the people that we minister to there. However, one of the biggest things that happens and reasons that we take students on mission trips is to get them out of their comfort zones and gives them a chance to dedicate some time to be stretched, and, make, and it makes a huge difference in their lives. So how many of you would say you got stretched this summer in some way, okay? Awesome. So it gives them a picture also of what it means to serve Jesus in everyday life as they come home. It changes them. It redirects their path. I was a beneficiary myself of this kind of experience. My parents got involved in a local church when I was 10 years old. And when I was 16, I was invited to go on a mission trip by my youth pastor. So I find myself being invited to go work with a team from people all around the world in a country called Albania. I was the only student from our youth group that was invited to go. And so I asked the question, uh, why me? Why did I get invited to this? My parents asked the question, why Dan? Why are you taking him on this trip? And many other people are like, why Dan? Why not me? You know, like that came up. So I took money that I had saved up at 16 years old to buy a car. It was in my savings account. My parents helped me, and many people in the church donated money so that I could have this experience. And I thought, oh, wait a car experience, car experience. You know, this was an experience you'll probably never have again, and it's absolutely right. So I spent that money, and so one day I'm leaving this small town in western Washington, and the next I find myself traveling through London to Greece, And within a few days, we are crossing the border with guys in machine guns in this country, former socialist country called Albania. I could fill a book, literally, with stories from this trip. There are some pretty crazy things that happened. But our main job was to rebuild a school that had been run down. And specifically, the job that my team was on was to replace windows. Here's some pictures up there. That's actually the bathroom that was facing the school. No doors. That's, that's the bathroom they used. Um, as those scroll through, those are just some of the, the experiences from that trip. So in a third world country, um, we'll have a 16-year-old work with glass when the nearest hospital is miles away and probably not the best for care. Great idea, right? But that's, that's what we did. We ended up okay. And that's me in a car. And... Anyways, it was an experience that I will never forget. After working hard all day, my youth pastor and I, this is him, his name's Rob Roy, he and I would venture out 
and we would walk the streets. While everyone else on our team was tired and they didn't feel like doing anything, we went out and we started making conversations with people. Walking down the street, people had courtyards with a high fence that was right up against the street, and they'd often sit out there, and they'd invite us in to get to know these crazy Americans, right? So come on in, and it was crazy. We ended up uh, several times with liquids in our hand that, um, to drink that probably wasn't the best for me to have um, at 16 years old, and so he had to protect me from that. And one night, actually got... Um, I didn't realize it till it was almost over, but I almost got set up in an arranged marriage one night with a 16-year-old Albanian girl. So, but one of those nights, um, we were walking through town, and I was, um, you know, it was crazy. At night, the water was on for like a couple hours a day, and then at night it would shut down. And so we were in this area near where they, kind of their water pumping place, but near where this was, was an orphanage. And I had never been to an orphanage before. And this orphanage, the conditions were absolutely appalling. As we went in for a, a little while to see what was going on, the conditions that these kids were in, kids that many had um, special needs, many of them had um, been abandoned by their parents, dropped off at the orphanage because they said, we don't want you. And the conditions, and I think there was one woman that was working at the time, the conditions they were in was appalling. And this experience rocked my world. It changed my life. I never saw things the same again. I never saw people the same way again. I started to get a glimpse of the heart that Jesus has and how much he loves his people. I believe this trip was a catalyst preparing me to be who I am today. And years later, when I asked my youth pastor, um, you know, seriously, so why did you ask me? You could have asked a ton of people. Why did you ask me? And he looked me in the eye and he said, Dan, I saw something in you. I believed in you. And I believe that God wanted to invest in you. Couldn't explain it at the time, but I really feel like that's what I was supposed to do. So this morning, we're going to pick up our series in Philippians. And it is uh, Philippians 2, 19 to 30. The series we're doing is From Prison with Joy. And there's a few characters I'd like to introduce you to, to first, first off. The first one is Paul, the apostle. Um, the great influencer of the early church who planted the church with a guy named Silas and believed also Timothy to reach out to people in the city of Philippi. Paul is now in prison and he's written in, the, in this, this letter to the church at Philippi to challenge them, to encourage them, and to spur them on in their mission to make Jesus known to the world. Earlier in the letter, Paul encouraged the church. He wanted them to imitate the humility of Jesus to shine like stars, to serve with humility and without grumbling or complaining. And now he totally switches gears and he brings up two specific leaders in the early church. The first one is Timothy. Timothy started as a young leader in the church. He's become one of the most faithful servants and he is amazing at encouraging and loving the church. And in the very beginning of Philippians, Timothy's actually included in the, in the greeting. Second character we meet is 
Epaphroditus. And he was given an important mission. He was sent by the church at Philippi to, with gifts to care for Paul while he is in prison. So pick it up with me in verse 19, chapter 2 of Philippians. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. There's no one else like Timothy. He's special. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy is presented here as an example of someone who puts the work of Jesus above himself. Paul refers to him as his son, like he's his spiritual father. And he's making the point, when we seek our own interests to the neglect of the good news of Jesus, it's bad news. Many prefer their own credit, their own ease, their own safety before truth and holiness and duty. Timothy was none of these. He was a man who had been tried and tested. He was approved and he was faithful with what he was given. Verse 23, it says this. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come too. So Paul is sending Timothy to encourage the church and with the message, hey, hopefully I'm going to get out of this place sometime soon too and I'll be there too to join you. So then in the letter he switches it up and he brings up Epaphroditus. Verse 25 says, But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. See, the church had sent Epaphroditus with gifts and on a mission to care for Paul. Paul referred to him, and I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. He referred to them in three ways. He said he's a brother. He is a co-worker. He is a co- or fellow soldier. He holds him in high regard. A brother meaning someone who's a part of the same family with Jesus as the center. A co-worker, a trusted and faithful co-laborer in carrying on the message of the gospel to the world. And a fellow soldier acknowledging the battle, the hard work, the strategy to share Jesus in a world that is resistant with an enemy that's looking to hurt God by hurting his kids. And now Paul is sending him back. And here's why. Verse 26, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you, so that when you see him, you again may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So Paul's motives here, right? Go back. They're worried about you. I don't want to. I'm already in jail, right? I don't need the guilt or the sorrow or the pain. I don't want to be anxious about this. So go. Go home, right? He says, so then, um, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. God's plan for Epaphroditus, it wasn't over. There was still more for him to do. But some may, in that culture, might have looked down on him because he didn't, maybe he didn't fully complete the mission. He got sick. 
And he, some would have thought of him as a failure. He didn't complete the job. And if there's any hint that Epaphroditus is a failure to the Philippian church, Paul wants to dispel that. He wants to get rid of it. He wasn't a failure because of his sickness. Epaphroditus was a minister to Paul's needs, not a burden. He was a messenger, and he was not a mess. Epaphroditus' ministry could have ended as a result of these events. Instead, he is honored for being obedient. Followers of Jesus have taken risks and endured suffering for the sake of the gospel, and they are worthy of great honor. And just as Jesus serves as a model of a loving sacrifice, Paul refers to him in the same way. That as Jesus was obedient to the point of death, Paul's pointing out that Epaphroditus, he also was obedient, where he almost lost his own life. So Timothy, Epaphroditus, a couple of pretty quality guys. You have two young men that were given a large responsibility in the church. And if the church was going to carry on, they would be key players. They'd have key roles in making that happen. Timothy and Epaphroditus were men who were entrusted with great responsibility in carrying out the mission of Jesus in the world. And how did they get there? Did they, were they born that way? No. We know that, right? We have a lot of young children and infants involved in our church. And we know, right, parents, that kids are not born that way, right? We also know that it doesn't happen. They don't become mature. They don't become that way overnight either. But they both had people that gave them a chance, that gave them a shot, that put aside their immaturity and their lack of experience. Paul, he saw something in Timothy. He saw leadership. He saw his calling at a young age. Even when Timothy doubted himself, even when everyone else was like, Timothy's too young to do this. Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, which is the name of our uh, ministry at Hillcrest Youth Ministry, it says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, your life, your love, your faith, and your purity. And at some point, Paul looked Timothy in the eye, and he said something like this. He said, Timothy, I believe in you. I see something in you. I will invest in you, and you are the hope to carry the good news of Jesus through the church to the future. Paul saw something in him, and he, just like my pastor, did that to me. For Epaphroditus, all we know about him is written in this particular book of Philippians. He was chosen for a very specific reason. We need to get supplies to Paul. We need to make sure Paul's okay, and we need to send somebody. So who should we send? Who's trustworthy enough? Who is faithful enough? Who is willing to risk their life? Ah, Epaphroditus. Let's send that guy. He's the guy for the job. There had to have been a good reason for that. And even though we don't know, somewhere along the line in the Philippian church, someone saw Epaphroditus, and they probably said something like this. They looked him in the eye and said, I believe in you. I see something in you. And you are the hope to carry the good news of Jesus through the church into the future. That's how those guys ended up in that place. Investing in our kids and investing in our youth is not just the responsibility 
of cool people in their 20s. It is the responsibility of all of us. Well, does that mean that I have to be a children's worker or a youth worker? Because I'm not sure I'm good at that, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it does mean that um, when we have people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, 60s, and 70s who all do that. Years ago, I worked with a, a couple in their 70s, Mike and Joanne Clifford, who um, loved our students so much, so much that they bought a house right across the street from the high school so that at lunchtime, the kids would have a place to go. How cool is that? Early in my time at Hillcrest, a wonderful grandma named Faye helped to lead small groups. And when she couldn't do that anymore, she would write birthday cards to all of our students for years. It might be a financial investment, sponsoring a student whose parents can't afford to send them to camp or to go on a mission trip. But for everybody, it's the responsibility to pray for our young people. So just like me, just like Timothy, just like Epaphroditus, Hillcrest, our church, our youth are not the church of the future. They are the church now. They are, like Paul said of Epaphroditus, they're brothers and sisters in Jesus. They are co-workers in carrying the message. They are fellow soldiers bringing that message in a dark world with an enemy that is trying to destroy us. And so the big idea, the main point I want to share with you today is this. No shock here. We need to look our young people in the eye and we need to say, I believe in you. I see something in you. You are the hope to carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus through the church into the future. Every single day across America, there are churches that close their doors. And one of the biggest reasons that that happens is because the church hasn't prioritized young people in their church. We have to keep it a priority. At the very least, it's a matter of perspective, believing in them, seeing them not as annoying or something to put up with, even when the music gets louder, even when we don't like the music or how casual that they dress. From my heart, I hope as I get older, and I'm already starting to go and lose a little bit of my hearing, you know, for probably from loud music um, growing up, but my heart, I hope that I keep it, is this. Even if church worship is rap or something like that, you know, if my kids love it and they're serving Jesus, if my grandkids are loving church and they're involved in it, then I'm going to be okay with it, right? Because I want the hope of the church to carry on through these generations. That being said, next week, rap. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Carl. <laughs> we do have rap in church sometimes, right? What if we all made a point and often enough to look our young people in the eye and say it again, I believe in you. I see something in you. I will invest in you. You are the hope to carry the message of the gospel through the church into the future. The church of Philippi, they sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul, and he sent them back to minister to them. Paul sent Timothy, after he'd invested in him, to come back and to carry for the church of Philippi. And Hillcrest, you sent a group of students to Portland this summer and Panama. And this morning... Part of why we're doing this is we're trying to send them back to you, to be a blessing to you.
I'm going to say a prayer, and we have a drama that we're going to do. And over the course of worship this morning, just going to say it, we are going to have students up front, and they would love to have the honor of praying with you. And so as we worship today, we're just going to open up a time where you can come forward and receive prayer, or maybe even come and pray for one of them, too, or look them in the eye, something like that. But I want to say a prayer right now, and I'm going to invite that team up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the unbelievable support and care and investment in children from newborns through elementary school and middle school and high school and into college there. Uh, thank you for that support. Lord, help us never lose sight, never lose track of the priority of making sure our young people, they're not the hope or the, of the church for the future. It's now. Lord, help us to be able to, just like my youth pastor did with me, just like Paul did with Timothy and someone did with Epaphroditus, they were able to look them in the eye and encourage them and say, I see something in you. You are the hope. So, Lord, this morning I ask that you would have your way in these next few moments. Holy Spirit, we invite you to just show up in a powerful way. And we give you honor today. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.